Welcome to the Patriot Podcast, a production of Covenant Academy in Cypress, Texas. Our hope is that this podcast connects you to the heart of our community, culture, and those who are helping shape the hearts and minds of students. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Patriot Podcast. I'm Michael Gaines and glad you are joining us for another episode of our school podcast. Uh, Today we are talking about, uh, or the title of our episode is Why Kids Fall Out of Chairs and Other Things an Occupational Therapist Can Tell You. So uh, definitely going to be a great conversation. With me as always is Leslie Collins, the head of school for Covenant Academy. So Leslie, good to see you today. Good to see you, Michael. And uh, our guest today is Melanie Hutton, an occupational therapist with 29 years of experience that will be uh, giving us and sharing with us some of her perspectives and wisdom. So Melanie, great to see you. Great to see you too. So Leslie, uh, today's conversation is something I know that uh, you uh, thought that would be a great conversation for our community and for for others that may not even be in the covenant community to to learn a little more about um, occupational therapy and mm-hmm. and what uh, what that can do for um, for those in a, a school community. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, well, my experience has been as a as an educator and particularly as a special educator that there's this. Um, this rare type of human being who become occupational therapists who have just a different view of humanity, uh, a different way of looking at people. And that really lends itself well to the classroom when kids are struggling. Uh, sometimes the teacher can do all kinds of things, but to you bring in an occupational therapist and they can say, oh, well, that is happening because this this developmental reflex is in action and they haven't outgrown that yet and we need to get some things in place. Or there may be other ways that you can manage that problem besides just simply telling them to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think if we're not trained in that dynamic, uh, we can see um, things that kids do in a very black and white way as Almost on a moralistic level, I told you to stop it and you're not stopping it. So clearly you're disobeying me. Uh, And sometimes that is the case. Sometimes it's grayer and, uh, and, and we want to help shepherd well the intent of the kid and help them to move as embodied beings um, toward the light and toward um, flourishing. And I've just experienced some really fantastic occupational therapists in my experience. And, uh, Melanie Hutton has become a friend to our school. And, uh, I've just been really blessed by her perspective and, and already the way that she's added to what we're doing here at Covenant. So I thought it would be a great conversation. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. So Melanie, uh, we, we certainly are grateful for the conversation and an opportunity to sit down with you today. Uh, as someone that has almost three decades of experience, um, I'm sure you've been asked the question maybe once, possibly twice, <laughs> what is occupational <coughs> therapy? Could you could you maybe give us a, a layman's definition to yeah. those that aren't familiar? Um, an ocu- occupational therapy looks at the entire lifespan of a person from birth to death, um, specifically I have specialized in pediatrics, so I um, work with children 
who are birth to 21 years old. And we try to help, um, in my situation, a child to be successful with their occupation. Um, a child, it, and we don't mean a job, a child's occupation is being a student, being a player, being able to play, functioning within their family and within their community. So some children uh, need help either because of delays or other situations. There can be physical, emotional, emotional, social um, delays that they need help with, and we help bridge that gra- gap or help make accommodations to make them more successful in their jobs. So when you look at um, uh, a, a either families or students that uh, you're working with, I, I suspect that not everyone is a candidate for occupational therapy or, or are they? Um, well, I mean, in the sense of needing therapy, no. We look at children who are not functioning um, at the same level as their developmental peers. So they would need to show a delay or a deficit in an area that we think we could help them. And in that way, if I could interject, there's a lot that um, there's a lot that is compatible uh, in a Venn diagram. There's there's a, a crossover between what occupational therapists see as trying to move someone toward flourishing uh, in their occupation, in their calling um, as as students, as players, as children, um, and what classical Christian education sees. So our classrooms are um, intentionally designed to be calm. We don't have a lot of huge primary colors that are distracting. That's what primary colors do. We have natural fibers as much as possible because that's helpful and stimulating for them. Um, we we want to be mindful of the needs of of their little bodies. We want to be careful about the size of our desks, the size of our chairs. These are all the things that an occupational therapist, if a child is struggling, they're going to, some of the things that we do as a natural practice, they would say, well, first you have to take care of these things. And that's just kind of where I see um, the benefit of an OT, being able to add to the good that we're already doing because because we believe that learning is embodied. Um, it's not just about data. It's about the human being inside. So, so when, uh, Melanie, we, you are able to engage with a, a student uh, through the process of having uh, you know, a partnership and identifying that uh, there, there may be an opportunity to use occupational therapy um, in a positive way for that student, what what does that process look like? What, is, what does that look like from a, maybe from um, a parent looking, looking in, how, how does that work? As far as like the referral process? Is yeah. That, well, typically what happens is um, the teacher will come to me and I would do a screening um, just to look and have just a global look at the child and see if there's Um, things that are standing out as difficulties for that child. Um, I would talk with the teacher, talk with Leslie, and then uh, if we all felt that it was appropriate, um, a recommendation for an OT evaluation would happen 
to the parents. Um, if they were willing to go forward with that, I would do an interview with the teacher more in detail with the parents. Um, I would uh, pull the child out and do an evaluation. And then um, we would have a read back with the family and, you know, possibly recommend therapy or accommodations, things that could happen in the classroom that would help support the child and uh, help give the teacher more tools to be able to facilitate learning for that child. Right. Which, which I appreciate hearing that it's, it's not necessarily a, a singular track of, of success, but it's a, it's shared success from the teacher side, from parent, from faculty, staff, you know, that, that it's everyone partnering together to, to reach that, that goal. Exactly. Exactly. And the parents are pivotal in that, um, you know, they're very important. They have a whole side of this child that they see at home that we don't see. Um, and usually if we're seeing issues at school, they may mirror at home or they may look different, better, worse, different. Um, and all that information is very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a parent, um, the, the, the story of parenting is often that you, you learn what your child needs and you naturally accommodate for their needs. That is the gift of, of mothering and fathering is you see what your child is needing and you step in. Sometimes parents step in that gap longer than is developmentally typical and they don't realize it. And it's that's often why people come to a school and say, I'm figuring out so many things. This school is challenging my child. Um, from an OT sense, sometimes parents are stepping in. Maybe the kid is late in tying their shoes. Maybe the kid is also late in um, developing, uh, you know, some other muscles such as their whole core. Um, and and uh, you know, tying their shoes is fine motor. Um, sitting in their chair requires core muscles. Some of these things seem small and insignificant, but a kid who's who's struggling with tying their shoes and the parent accommodates with Velcro, well, then the kid never ties their shoes because we remove that problem. And the parent forgets, oh, that's right. My kid is struggling with fine motor. And then they struggle with handwriting and they're always behind and they're always slower than the rest of their class. And maybe their handwriting isn't as neat as they wish it could be. And an OT has the, has the, knowledge and skills to step in and say, this is, this is not your child just not behaving. This is not because they're not listening to the penmanship expectations. It's, it's, it's not a won't it's, it's a can't right now. And so you, Melanie does a fantastic job as all OTs do is stepping in and saying, let me help you build the skill sets that you're lacking so that we can, we can make that better. And it's really good to get early intervention. I'd love to hear you talk about that. Well, I think that, um, the lens that a therapist can look through that's different than a parent or, you know, a teacher, if they don't have that background, is why is that child not able to, you know, write with good legibility? Is it because of fine motor delays, as Leslie was just, you know, uh, speaking to? Or is it because of visual motor deficits, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. visual perceptual deficits? Um, There can be a myriad of different reasons why. And so the breaking down and looking at 
the task and seeing where the deficit is, that's where an occupational would, therapist would come in and be able to address those and help support the child, um, you know, to bridge that gap. So from a child's perspective, what what is it that the desire is for them to be able to gain out of the the um, the therapy and the that relationship. What what would you how would you characterize the the benefits being that they understand that there's a challenge there and how to address it, or is it is it something else? Well, it is that I think you know a perspective of an occupational therapist. Our whole background is looking at the mind body spirit of an individual. And so not only do we want to help them with the physicality of what they need to do, but also the emotional um, and spiritual level, being able to understand that these are deficits, but I am just as equal as everyone else, even though I have this issue, um, and being able to support them in that way also. It's looking at the whole person. Mm. And I think that's something that's very important that other therapists and other disciplines um, don't address. So, um, you know, we touched on the fact that uh, there can be situations where the the uh, identified maybe deficit or, in other words, an opportunity to help help a, a student is uh, or can be reflective of other things happening at home. So how do you approach that where you you see that, yes, there are things that we can help the student, but it looks like the the, the trail sort of leads back home as well. How, how do you help uh, parents in that that process as well? Um, well, I, I would talk to the parents and do a lot of parent education, um, home programming, things that they can follow through with at home, whether it's exercises, um, written homework, or strategies to deal with. Some children have um, sensory dysregulation, um, and they, as Leslie was speaking to earlier, they're not able to sit in a chair, and it's not because maybe they have the motor core issues, which sometimes that can be, but maybe they're, um, you know, they are sensory seekers, and they need that movement and so they're constantly rocking in their chair, leaning back on their chair, doing those things. Well, they have a need in their body that needs to be met. So we need to find ways to support that and meet them um, and maybe do some type of heavy work, um, different strategies at home before they get to school and after they go home um, that the parents could do to support them. Mm. So it'd be a lot of education and training with the families. And not only do I go into schools and work with children, but I also go into people's homes and do that also. Mm. So that's always an available right. option. Right. No, that's good. And I know, uh, you know, Leslie, you, you talked about the, the importance of, of, uh, and we talk about it often on, on this podcast and of course on the campus about, um, you know, shepherding the heart of students mm -hmm. and and the the partnership that that entails um, with families, but also uh, partnering. I know that you partner with uh, the the teachers here, mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons yeah. that we have Melanie mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well. it's it's um it's a powerful gift to any educator to gain a new skill. 
every every professional development opportunity that we have, we are growing ourselves as educators. And I often joke, this is why we stay in school because we're always learning. Mm-hmm. And by the time we're a hundred, we'll be you know really g- genius teachers. Uh, it's it's powerful. It changes the way you look at human beings and. And every time that Melanie comes to the campus to uh, to provide occupational therapy, she comes once a week. Every time she comes, she also pops in and talks with teachers. It changes the way they see things, mm. gives them new eyes, and that's that's such a gift. And so it it empowers the teacher to actually put some things into practice that don't require a consultation. That's the benefit of it. We all know what that's like. You, you meet with an expert and then suddenly you've, you've got new words, new skills, new perspective, and it simply changes how you, how you put things into practice, how you practice, you know, your, your skills. So uh, I, I, this has been very enlightening and and uh, I'm learning new new words to your 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 very uh, point there, Leslie. Um, if there are parents in the uh, covenant community that are are interested or, or may say, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, I, I, this is resonating with me and maybe want to learn more or, or have a conversation, um, mm-hmm. how, how would you recommend they, they It's a proceed? great question. I would say talk to your teacher. Um, and one of the reasons we wanted to have this podcast was because Melanie is coming to the campus once a week and already providing consultations. Every time she comes, she might start in, in primarily the grammar school, but there may be some students in our upper school who would benefit from um, a consultation from a teacher perspective. Um, sometimes the teacher may be reaching out already saying, Hey, I'm, we're seeing some things. Could we talk about this? And we wanted the parents to be able to have a resource to say, wait, I'm confused. I don't even know what an occupational therapist is. My, my child isn't ready to go to work. So why do we need to worry about their future job? Um, (laughs) and then some people know millennials know because they're so savvy. Um, so some people know what an OT is. They know a whole lot about this whole field. Um, but some people don't know. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's scary. Oh, my word. My child, they're telling me I might need a consultation. I might need an evaluation. This is really scary. I don't think I want to do it. Um, That's honestly often a first step that people take when considering the possibility that their child may need some intervention Mm -hmm. um, or may benefit from more information. And um, that first step, getting over that hurdle, it's not really a step, it's a hurdle. Um, Getting over that hurdle of I'm scared um, is the is the best thing so that we can get past fear and into helping. Um, early intervention is a huge part of of every educational program, I hope, but it certainly is a huge part of what we do here, whether it's uh, early intervention with reading challenges, early intervention with writing challenges, early intervention um, with, uh, regulation of sensory uh, processing um, and understanding how to move. Uh, it's again, it's all about being embodied in our learning. So, yeah. So, who to talk to? Go to your teacher. And I would say, just on the he- the heels of that, the early intervention, um, they've done studies and shown that intervention before the age of eight or nine 
is threefold to what intervention, uh, the end product of what you would get after that. So one year of intervention when you're 13 basically is worth three years of intervention when you're eight, Mm. as far as your bang for your buck. Mm. And so that's, you know, everybody says early intervention. Well, there's there's studies behind Mm -hmm. the power Mm -hmm. of early intervention. It's very critical and it's a real thing. Yeah. And and on the opposite side of that, sadly, um, many times students who struggle in school, whatever their struggle may be, if they're struggling in school and there isn't intervention by fourth grade, often the trajectory for that student is set. And they struggle and feel inadequate for the task of, of learning and um, become disenchanted with it and disengaged. And that's not a good human experience for anyone. That's not flourishing. So early intervention is key. And so we want to really have things well underway before fourth grade for that reason. No, that's that's excellent and and grateful and glad that we have uh, the the resources and uh, the tool set that that Melanie is able to to bring here at Covenant. So I've appreciated the insight, uh, the new words, and for me personally, new perspective on on a field that I, I wasn't uh, and resource that I wasn't wasn't. Uh, aware of. So now now I am. And hopefully many others in our community are. So we've been speaking with Melanie Hutton, an occupational therapist uh, that works uh, with us here at Covenant Academy, and also had Leslie Collins, the head of school for Covenant Academy. So thank you both for the conversation today. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Patriot Podcast. If you have any questions or comments about anything discussed, feel free to contact us on our website at covenantcypress.org.